Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Happy Father's Day, everybody. The New York Mets uh, found a way to ruin it. They found a way to tell all the fathers who are Mets fans, go F yourself. And that's exactly what happened over the last two days, because after winning a nice, tidy Friday night win where Tyler McGill is looking good and Brett Beatty's picking up Francisco Lindor with a big hit and Josh Walker looks like, hey, this guy could be a big piece of the bullpen future. And maybe, just maybe, the Mets are going to be able to do some damage against a reeling Cardinals team. They put up an L on Saturday. They put up an L on Sunday and both unique in just finding ways to lose. And that's what this team does. They find ways to lose. You go back to Saturday's game, a game that unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I didn't get to see a lot of. It was the day of our big Carton Roberts, Tiki and Tyranny softball game. And I knew there was no chance to DVR it, by the way, because the Met game was at four. Our softball game was at six. I don't think there was any shot. I was going to be able to play a game on Staten Island with the crowd taunting us and not know how the Mets did. In fact, I had the Met game on in the Carton Roberts dugout, and I got distracted. When they announced my name to run on the field, Jeff McNeil had just hit that bullet up the middle right at Balde Young at shortstop, and it was gobbled up for an easy out when they had first and third down by a run. And so I was all disheveled. So thank you, Mets. Thank you, Jeff McNeil. But that was a game that I admit, I was not watching every pitch of. But you look at Sunday's game, the Father's Day game. Find ways to lose. Fall behind early, come back. Fall behind by more, come back. Fall behind by a little bit more, come back. Until finally Nolan Arenado puts it away in the ninth inning. It was just a cavalcade of new ways to lose. And that's what this team has done. So here's a couple of broad things. And then we'll get specific about these games. And obviously look ahead and everything around this team. Here's the broad issue. They are 33 and 38. They are five games under 500. They have now played 71 games. We are a couple of weeks away from that halfway point. They are showing no signs of getting hot. They are showing no signs of that run that every team has. You know, we always go back and look at last year's Phillies, the 2019 Nationals. You find these teams that struggled early and turned it around. I got newsflash for you. And I'll use those two teams as an example because they're recent examples. They're division rivals. And it's what the most optimistic Met fan wants to hold their hat on. The Philadelphia Phillies had turned their season around by game 71. They had. They were above 500 by game 71. The Nationals, believe it or not, had the same record as the Mets, 33 and 38 in 2019. But their turnaround was occurring. Because remember, the Nationals created an even bigger hole in 2019. I think they were 19 and 30 at one point. So their turnaround was happening. The Phillies' turnaround was happening. 
We are 71 games into this season, and I ask a very simple question to maybe 2% of the audience, those in the Rico Bronia audience that still holds out hope, that remains, I don't even know if I'd use the word confident, but I guess thinks that this thing can turn. When? Like, when is that going to happen? We are 71 games into the year, and every day they're creating a bigger and bigger hole. A, because they're losing, and then B, you've got teams in the National League, specifically the Miami Marlins, the Cincinnati Reds, and the San Francisco Giants. Those are the three teams that certainly jump out at me. They've been playing kick-ass baseball. I mean, the Reds have won eight in a row. The Giants have won seven in a row. The Marlins have won, I know it's only like a four or five game winning streak, but they are 10 games above 500. The Phillies have gotten hot. They've won six in a row. So not only are the Mets sucking, but we are watching other teams in the National League create more space between them and the Mets. The Mets are closer to having the worst record in the National League than they are being a playoff team. And that's just the cold, hard reality of the math. Because I think for a long time, when talking about this team and the struggles, I've always said, don't worry about the math. Don't worry about how many games back they are because they get hot, they'll be fine. Well, they better get real hot. The division, forget about. I mean, I, I don't even think we should waste our time anymore. They're 12 and a half games out. 12 and a half games out. So the divisional race in the middle of June is dead. And over the last couple of days and weeks, the wild card race has become more daunting. So that's your big picture look at where this team is. And that's besides the fact that they're about to face a tough, tough part of their schedule. The Houston Astros, the Philadelphia Phillies, like this ain't easy. Now, it doesn't matter when they play bad teams because they have been set up on this homestand to play two teams that for different reasons were very beatable. You play two games against the Yankees, forget about their name, forget about their history, forget about them being blood rivals from a city perspective. They're a bad team right now. And we're not going to spend time worrying about the Yankees. We'll do that on the fan. But the Yankees are a mess. And, and in a weird way, the Mets split against the Yankees looks even worse when you watch what happened to the Yankees in Boston. They can't, they can't score a goddamn run. Max Scherzer looks even worse because the only guy the Yankees could hit for the last two weeks, it seems, is Max Scherzer. So you're set up with two games against a reeling Yankee team, a beatable Yankee team, and you settle for a split. Now, granted, both games could have gone either way. Who cares? You got a split. Now you take on this mess of a Cardinal team. And granted, as you know, and as you saw over the weekend, the Cardinals have talent in their lineup. There's no doubt. We all know how good Paul Goldschmidt is and Nolan Arenado is. But this is a Cardinal team that comes in having one of the worst years they've had in a long time. And they're a mess. They're a mess. They've had dysfunctional issues since day one, whether it was the Contreras situation or Ali Marmol, who seems like he's in over his head. The St. Louis Cardinals come in as a mess. And on Friday night, the Mets did a great job of just continuing to pick on a lousy Cardinal team. They beat Miles Mikolas around a little bit. Tyler McGill throws one of the best games of the season. And we actually got to enjoy something very rare, a comfortable, neat and tidy, solid Met victory. We all felt good. 
And then you watch what happened over the last two days. And it's like, are you freaking kidding? You're playing the Cardinals. You're playing a lousy, downtrodden team. And you gave them life. Now, let me get to Sunday. I was stupid enough to take my oldest son, Jet, to this game. Happy Father's Day to me. Happy Father's Day to all of us. And obviously, Carlos Carrasco sucks. Let me start with him. Carlos Carrasco has now made nine starts. Nine starts. He had the handful of starts before he went on the injured list and the handful of starts now. And there's been some promise. He's now put together three mediocre starts in a row. And I'm being nice because this start on Sunday was not mediocre. Three innings, six runs is not mediocre. It sucks. It, It blows. But his two starts before that, the game in Pittsburgh, when he gets knocked out in the fifth inning, only gave up two runs. I wouldn't call it a bad start. I would say it was a mediocre start. You look at the start before that, five innings, four runs, mediocre start. And that followed two really good starts in a row. So Carrasco gave us that tease of, okay, he's healthy. The velocity's up a little bit. Carrasco's turning this thing around. When you look at what he did Sunday, here are the numbers, and the numbers are just, they're they're ruthless. He has a 6.34 ERA. 6.34. So here's the question that Buck Showalter and Billy Epler are going to have to face pretty soon with Carlos Cookie Carrasco. How much longer do you run him out every five days before you say, let's try something else? And if your retort while listening is, what else is there, Evan? You actually have a few emerging options. Number one, Jose Quintana's on his way back. Number two, Tyler McGill showed a pulse on Friday night, so maybe his rotation spot isn't dead in the water. And number three, your boy, Pete, Joey Lucchese, has been pitching very well at AAA. And and here's the bottom line. Not that I have confidence in Joey Lucchese. I'm getting sick and tired of looking at a a 6.5 ERA. I'm getting sick and tired of what I saw on Sunday. Carrasco gives up a home run early to Nolan Arenado. Okay, typical cookie Carrasco. Gives up a home run in the first inning. Not the end of the world, especially when the Mets get one right back when Papa Lindor hits that bomb of a home run in the bottom of the first inning. But in the second inning, he gives it all right back. Now, a big part of this was Eduardo Escobar making just an absolutely brutal error. There's one out of nobody on. There's a ground ball to third base, and Escobar makes a offline throw to the returning Pete Alonso. And we'll get to Pete in a second because that was awesome. Not his performance, but him coming back was awesome. And if you're Carlos Carrasco, you're a veteran pitcher. Yeah, it sucks. It's it's terrible. Eduardo Escobar made a bad error. Can you find a way to not walk the ninth place hitter, Tommy Edmond? Can you do that? Can you find a way to not give up an RBI single to Brendan Donovan? Can you find a way when you're ahead of Paul Goldschmidt one and two to not leave one hanging for him to rip a bases clearing double? Can you find a way to not have that happen? Because Carrasco did. And so from two to one, hey, we're in the game, to five to one. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Buck Showalter will tell you, our guys showed a lot of fight. And guess what? They did. I give him that. 
Two outs, nobody on. Second inning down, five to one. You get a Jeff McNeil hit by pitch. You get an Escobar triple, which was really a gift because Tommy Edmond needs to make that catch. You get a walk by Canna. You get a huge double by Brandon Immel. It was great. They got right back in the game. 5-4, they showed fight. And you know what Cookie did? You know what Cookie did in the third inning? Paul DeYoung. Happy Father's Day to Paul DeYoung because he's our freaking daddy. Hits a bomb of a home run. Immediately, Carrasco gives one right back. And this is what killed me about this performance. There are bad performances where at least you keep your team in the game. I'll give you a great example. Kodai Seng on Saturday. That's a great example of it. Kodai Seng did not pitch great. I'm not going to convince you he did. He gave up a couple of home runs, including one to Paul Goldschmidt, and he turned a one nothing lead into a 4-1 to deficit. I own it. I admit it. But guess what Senga did? He kept the Mets in the game. He pitched the fifth. He pitched the sixth. Guy even came out for the seventh inning. And other than the Guillaume home run, Met offense couldn't take advantage of it. And that's a part of why the Mets are such a bad team. I mean, on a day in which Senga settles in and keeps him in the game, they just don't get enough from their offense. On Sunday, the Mets got plenty from their offense. Their offense kept fighting back. Every time Carrasco kicked him in the nuts, which he did in the first inning, in the second inning, in the third inning, and then finally Buck said, you know what? I'm going to take his ass out the game. Thank you. It took him long enough. When he walks Tommy Edmond to start the fourth inning, Buck Showalter realizes like like there's a light from the gods. Maybe I should take this guy out of the game. He's pitching like crap. And he finally did. Otherwise, it was going to get worse. But that, I'm going to keep coming back to this as we go through these games. This is why they're a bad team. They're a bad team because when certain things go just right, enough things go wrong. So Carrasco comes out of this game because Buck Showalter realizes I have to get him out of this game. And the Met bullpen, for the most part, does a really good job. Like John Curtis did a really good job getting out of the fourth inning. A part of it, his own trouble. There was first and third, nobody out with two, three, four coming up. He gets a huge little pop-up of Goldschmidt and a double play of Nolan Arenado. I thought the game was ending right there. I thought the Cardinals were going to blow this thing open in the fourth inning, but to John Curtis's credit, he gets through the fourth inning. He does give up a home run to Jordan Walker on a ball I still can't believe got out. Looked like a fly ball to right field. I thought Marte was going to track it down. But again, the Met offense response. Tommy Pham behind in the count, hits the two-run home run to tie the game. And then Curtis and Leon, who got a huge out of Nolan Arenado with a couple of guys on base. Brooks Raley all do a great job keeping the Mets in the game as they fail to bust through. Because think about this. They come back, tie the game on the fam home run in the sixth inning. They're set up two on one out top of the order. Didn't get it done. Brandon Nimmo grounded out. Starling Marte struck out. I thought Starling Marte had a step back game. He had been hitting well over the last few days. Sunday was an 0 for 5 disaster, which included the exclamation point, the double play to end the game. But then we get to the eighth inning, where I have to admit, I am still confused. Because in the eighth inning of this game, I see David Robertson coming out of the bullpen. And as I have said many, many times, I love the fact that Buck is not committed to this is your inning and this is your inning. He plays the matchups. 
And a lot of times I like how he plays the matchups. He may say, hey, heart of the order's coming up in the eighth. Let me go to my best reliever. We all agree, because it's not close, that the Mets' best reliever is David Robertson. One could argue he's their only good reliever. You could make that argument. So when David Robertson started trotting out in the eighth inning, I I glanced down at my scorecard. Because without even thinking, I assumed must be the heart of the order coming up. It must be. And I look down at my scorecard, and I see eight, nine, and one. I see Andrew Kisner, the backup catcher. I see Tommy Edmond, who the Mets were afraid to face today, walk three times on Sunday. And then I see the top of the order. And I'm confused. Other than maybe Robertson's going to pitch two innings, Buck realizes the importance of this game. They've had off days. Robertson hasn't had a pitch a lot recently. Okay, makes sense. David Robertson is coming in to pitch two innings. So David Robertson comes in and, I mean, barely breaks a sweat. I think he threw eight or nine pitches. Very quickly, nice and tidy one, two, three inning. Mets can't score in the bottom of the eighth. We go to the ninth with Goldschmidt, Arenado, Gorman, and Walker coming up to the plate. And Adam Adovino is walking out. Now now my head is spinning. Okay. So David Robertson was not pitching two innings because if he was pitching two innings, he would have pitched the second inning. There was nothing that happened in inning number one that would have made Buck Showalter change his mind. It's not like he threw 27 pitches. He threw eight or nine, whatever the hell the number was. So he decides to go to Adovino because, hey, he likes the matchups. Why wouldn't he want Adam Adovino against right-hand hitting Paul Goldschmidt and right-hand hitting Nolan Arenado? I'm going to make this very effing simple. Okay, while I don't care about Adovino's splits this year, he's actually been better against lefties than righties, I think we'd all agree Adam Adovino's best lane, as Boone would say, is against right-hand hitters. 100%, I agree with that. Even though, up until this point, every home run he had given up has been to a lefty. So even though the splits were overall good against lefties, he gave up a lot of home runs against lefties. So I get, if this is strictly righty-lefty, why you view Adovino facing right-hand hitters as a plus. I totally get that. What I don't get is my best reliever, David Robertson, who's great against lefties, but he's gotten righties out too. Right now, I trust Robertson over anybody. And in the career numbers of Arenado and Goldschmidt against Robertson, because I did look it up, very light, two for 10. No home runs from either guy. Okay, so nothing. They're not two for 30, but they're not five for 10. So there's no indication that Robertson is a bad matchup for the Cardinals' two best hitters. I want my best pitcher facing them. It it cannot be any more simple than that. And that's my argument. No analytics, no splits. I'm telling you, period. I want my best pitcher facing their best hitters. Because I've seen Adam Adovino give up back-breaking home runs this year. I've seen Adam Adovino give up a game. Now, look, Adam Adovino's got a very important role on this team. I can't dismiss that. He's probably their second or third best reliever, uh, depending on how you want to rank it. You want to argue Brooks Rally? Okay, I guess. You want to argue, I guess, lately Dominic Leone? Sure. <laughs> but I want my best pitcher facing their best hitters. That's my argument. And if you want to whip out Robertson for two innings, if you're Buck, fine. Okay, it's a big game. I'm with you on that. You want to go for the jugular. 
You're not worried about Monday in Houston because God knows you ain't having a lead in any of these games. Let's face it. The brooms are already out in Texas. So if you want him for two innings, I'm I'm good with it. For him to pitch one inning and then go to Adam Ottavino, who is so unreliable up and down this season, I thought was, here's the word I'll use, Hoff, a horrendous move by Buckshaw Walter. Horrendous. I don't like it. I hate it. I want my best reliever facing their best hitters. And we all know the result. Nolan Arenado with a home run. And the Mets lose. Are you with me on this monstrosity of a move by Buck, or you want to argue? Uh, zero argument. But the only thing I will argue a little bit is it didn't make a difference if Robertson pitched the eighth and ninth. The Mets were doomed to lose this game. I'm sorry. You never feel comfortable. You never go, oh, this is this is where it's going to happen. Even when the Mets walked off the Yankees, it still never felt like, oh, this is their moment. It it doesn't feel right anymore. It really doesn't. Yeah, I, I never felt confident in this game. I agree with you. And if they get through the ninth inning, they don't score in the ninth, it goes to 10. I, I'm not saying they win. So I, I can't tell you my confidence flips, but I got to extend the game. That's the way I, I have to extend the game because – you never know. I don't know what the hell's going to happen in the ninth, 10th, or 11th inning. I have no idea. But I don't like losing by not using my best, especially against their best. The, the Mets didn't lose the finale of this series on a fluky home run by, you know, Dylan Carlson. They lost it because their best player hit a home run. And it, it bothers me that their best player hit a home run off of a guy who's not our best player. But But again, it is... Finding ways to lose because this Met offense did show a lot of fight. This Met offense did come back from two nothing down to make it two to one, from five to one down to make it five to four, from six four down to make it six five, from seven five down to make it seven seven. Like all of that happened in the first five innings, but from the sixth inning on, the offense did nothing. They couldn't back up the fact that the bullpen actually settled in and kept this game close. And it's just another sign that they're bad and they find ways to lose. So the the move of Robertson in the eighth, not pitching a second inning, or just having Adovino in the eighth, Robertson in the ninth, is worthy of me bitching about, and I think worthy of all of us complaining about. But you're right. It doesn't mean they win. They probably lose anyway because this is what this team does.